0: Welcome to Fourth Times the Chippity Dippity Dippity Charm, the only podcast where every week is a brand new concept. I am Ooh. your producer, Ben, accompanied by our director, Matt, and we have quite a Uniq episodio for you today, Rooney.
1: <laughs> ben, ben is not at full existential crisis but you can tell he's pressed for time because his brain is just not even thinking about the words he's saying they're just kind of fumbling out of them.
0: i wouldn't say fumbling out i'm saying them quite clearly but yeah, yeah, yeah. with but rhyme the, the or content. reason no no yeah, not yeah, at all
1: you you're 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 in the absurdist phase of your artistic career where you're producing a lot but not everyone really understands where it's coming from or
0: what the purpose is, and that's the, beautiful. So I have two ultimate goals with this podcast, Matt. Okay. My number one goal. Actually, I have three goals. Uh, yeah, my first it's... goal is I want triple-digit consistent listeners. Yeah, yeah. Number I two, I want to be popular enough that we have that we are able to sell figures of us mm. as merchandise. Agreed. Number three. And finally, I want to reach a level of talent with podcasting that we can actually do legitimate, absurdist, strange meta podcast episodes and actually be talented enough for them to be good.
1: No, no, but Ben, see, here's the, the true metaverse of podcasting and what we're doing is that most podcasts shouldn't exist most agreed most friends just need to talk to each other more and unfortunately our american culture the only way we can get to that is by like making up rituals and things to force it to happen it's why british people don't understand the way americans drink because we have to play games to binge drink they just binge drink and like just like friendship we don't we don't just have friendship we have coordinated organized events that force us all together like movie nights or recording a podcast but we live with that knowledge in mind of every single episode we record so therefore the metaverse is constantly being expressed and it takes a keen eye a keen listener to really understand the meta absurdist narrative that will be played out across every single episode we record it's kind of like bray wyatt it's all lore and it's all canon and it all makes sense if you tie it together
0: and now uh, I will give Matt a second to wash his hand after reaching so far up his ass with that one. Um, I tasted my lunch again. and <laughs> That's funny. I didn't eat today because I was stressed. So welcome to the hot potty, everybody. <laughs> today, we are going to try something out. I am going to be here for approximately eight more minutes, and then yep. I'm going to go out to see the latest uh, film from that dude who directed Raw. It's a woman. Is Titan. Wait, it's Titan. Teton. It's,
1: w- it's the first time a female director has won the Palme d'Or by herself. From
0: that woman who directed Raw. It is Titan, And it's almost out of theaters after just being in theaters like two weeks ago. So I sort of got to see it now. Julia Dukanuma. Duquan, Gazundite.
1: Yeah, they, yeah, it's it's the right time to see it. And again, I advocate if if it's still in theaters when this episode comes out, do what Ben does, sacrifice a scheduled event to go and see this movie because it's fucking worth it, especially to see it in theaters with zero context. Brennan Goldine, if you're listening to this and you respect us at all, go see this movie. And if you can't, just watch raw on Amazon Prime because I think it's free.
0: That's right. So in the meantime. What we're going to do, because we're strapped for time, is that Matt and I are making like a divorce couple, and we are going to split our duties with (laughs) the child that is this podcast this week. So, we're going to do our intro, same as usual, and then we are going to split off into two hot potties. One is going to be led by me, where I'm going to talk about... Something that I'll figure out after I'm done recording this. And then Matt is going to talk about himself.
1: I'm going to talk about something I find interesting and unique. I'm going to introduce a new podcast concept, as is the title and tone of our our podcasting world. Um, That's going to actually leverage into a much longer uh, series that we're going to do coming up. Um, If you're listening to this and you somehow are still listening from the Order of the Black Arts... Uh, I am still working on a comprehensive history of the French black metal scene, uh, which is largely dispersed and spread out across the internet. And I'm going to try to bring it all together with my French-speaking assistant here, Ben. And we're going to try to bring something uh, unique to you all that maybe only 30 people will care about. But all 30 of those people Yeah, I'd actually love
0: to help out with that because I know that from... Uh, not from music but at least from like video game development there's so many interesting items that are lost due to the language barrier yeah and it's actually
1: this is a weird shout out but if you own uh, a physical copies of terrorizer magazine specifically from 2005 um, they did a series of interviews with the uh, a lot of the members who started the french black metal scene and i cannot find a copy of it online so if you have that, please send it to me. Send me a PDF. Send me something. Um, I really want to read that for that episode, and it's a great source. And it's only been quoted in other sources. But something more important has happened, Ben. Something what? very important has happened. What? Do you, you, you all, all of our faithful, faithful listeners know that last week, Brennan was unseated. He was taken down from his pedestal of love, passion, care, in consideration and squandered down to the bottom of the list of our two fans and put it firmly in second place. But this week, this week, Brennan has come back with a power and reasserted himself as our number one fan, even providing Whoa. multiple pieces of content for Whoa. us to enjoy and delve into. Now, now hold Whoa. on, hold on. Admittedly, admittedly from Brennan, he said he was not able to bring us something as, and exciting as the velcro song but he he think what i think brought us something more pure more genuine more hook and loop and less velcro and uh we can we before before ben i, I think has something going on over there um Ben, i want you to hit the music on this one this is acupuncture no more by kyle c play
2: i once went to see a doctor with my mom she wanted to see an acupuncturist that she had heard
0: of Brennan what the fuck is this (laughs) this. (laughs) there's a remix of it too that's much funnier he was
1: an old this has a full narrative to it i've listened to this like four times today man i
0: really hate this
1: this is amazing brennan gets me brennan gets me can i stop
0: listening yeah we we can stop
1: (laughs) uh he eventually ends up going impotent um but uh we also quickly need to listen Listen to the to the okay, remix. Of okay, okay.
0: So Matt, the important thing here is that Brennan is not our biggest fan because Goldie <gasps> messaged me.
1: How dare you, Goldine?
0: Used the code Thunder scene,
1: So did Brennan. I got and you, Brennan. He
0: introduced an interesting discussion topic on us, asking okay. what we thought of the latest round of WWE releases. Including them releasing people for vaccination status. Wow,
1: wow! So Brennan, Brennan brings us content, unique content that exists outside of our our, our sphere of influence. Goldine just comes in with wrestling in questions. Ah, no, no, no. Goldine
0: brings Ugh. us, Goldine brings us content, and okay. while 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 meanwhile while meanwhile while meanwhile. Brennan over here trying to catch up to the Joneses. All right. Look, I love Brennan. I love Brennan. All right. Brennan's great. I've broken bread with this guy. Okay.
1: We've eaten dinner together. Oh, I don't give a shit about your time with him in person. I care about our conversation. Brennan also provided us two films to watch and a concept for an episode and his willingness to come onto this podcast and participate. Okay, Where are you, Goldine?
0: Where are you? You're going to come on this you, podcast? You know, you know You're going to have good is? audio quality? You know where is? I don't is? think so. Goldine's in fucking Ireland.
1: Yeah, it's just not as good as Scotland.
0: But I We're international, baby.
1: That's actually cool. goldine shout out to Ireland. Yeah.
0: So wait, I wait, wait. What, so, what
1: part of Ireland? I don't know. He just said Ireland. All right. Oh, okay. That means, that means he's in I the actual Irish part. I,
0: so... I, I'm not quite sure like how we should choose the biggest fan between these two. I think they I think they need to come on here and fight it out. I, I think it's gonna be hard to like time it with someone from Ireland. Yeah, well well from... if, if he's our biggest fan, he'll make it work. That's unfair. That's what I'm Matt. That's that's, that's what I'm saying. We'll we'll both compromise.
1: We'll do this on a weekend at noon. I don't wanna do that. Well too bad. Then you don't care enough about Gold Dean. I see how it is. Gold Dean, I will get on this podcast any time of the day on a weekend and record with you. The fact just that because we're like, Ben is not isn't willing
0: to the fact that we're not directly leading into another podcast is making this even more unfocused than usual. No, so- no, this is important. The, the, this is engagement. Ben, the key
1: to success in online divisions is engagement. And we have two men. I, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to assume you're, you're gender Goldine. Uh, we have two individuals who are dedicated in providing us with content. Now, but Brendan did ask ask a question Ben that I'm curious about before we we will address the releases um, but I'm just gonna shout out my boy Brennan here. Uh, have you ever seen the movie thanks I know of it same have you ever heard of the movie Gummo? yes okay Br- Brennan brought us both of those films and uh, we'll have to dive into those. Brennan have you uh,
0: heard of the Ginger Dead man have you have you heard of uh
1: Santa Claus? Go- yeah, yeah. Goldeen, can you please send us your pocket pick for holiday-themed horror
0: films? Now, okay, no okay, Krampus, you know what, you know Here, no Black Christmas. Okay, here's here's what we're going to no do. No Jack Frost either. All right, here's what we're going to do. A challenge. Yeah, we're going to do a challenge with our two biggest fans. And <laughs> what I think will decide this okay. is by next week, Brennan, I want you... To send us a discussion question, which is what Goldine did for us this week, and we'll go over that question next week when I have more time when we're when we can discuss WWE's current business model. Now, on the other hand, Goldine, we want a movie suggestion from you. Doesn't need to be a horror movie, but it does need to be a little bit out there. We need two movie
1: suggestions. Yeah, two movie suggestions. So that we've had and a then, song from each of them now. One yeah. made Ben viscerally uncomfortable and made me giggle like a little boy. And the one Goldie sent us brought us both to an exalt- an exaltative joy. And now films. Yeah.
0: So I, I feel like we'll compare these next week and then we'll have a true definitive winner. In the meantime, Indeed. we are now going to diverge into two separate mini pottos. Uh, Thank you for not them
1: hot pottos again. That
0: was hot disgusting. potties. Hot potties. Hot, po- hot potties are
1: porter potties when it's eighty-five plus degrees.
0: That's outside. that's that's what our that's what our uh, mini pods are called. They're called hot potties. I don't condone this, Brennan. I know you don't either. I'm editing it so I can no. create a transition. I'm gonna every I'm gonna time s- we splice. It, I'm just gonna go hot potty.
1: All right, if you do it that way, it's substantially funnier, and I approve.
0: And with that said, we are now going to take a deep dive into the separate halves of the brain that makes up fourth times the charm. See us unleashed. First up is Matt.
1: Hot potty. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the first of two many episodes hosted exclusively by us individually this first episode is brought to you by me your director matt and in this episode we're going to be diving into the podcast welcome to have you ever wanted to deep dive into something niche and are unsure about how to actually get started this is the podcast for you welcome to welcome to The podcast where we break down the walls that gatekeepers might make to keep you out of their inner circle. In this podcast, we will give you a brief introduction and a few jumping off points to dive into something niche and unique. This week, we will be discussing my personal favorite niche fantasy subgenre. Whether you call it lit RPG or game lit, it is one of the most interesting unique subgenres of recent years. Bridging the gap between traditional fantasy and modern video games, Lit RPG incorporates video game progression mechanics into the stories that they exist in. This can take any number of forms, you may have even seen them in films and TV shows such as Sword Art Online, Free Guy, or Ready Player One. When these stories are written, they can take an infinite number of forms which can be a daunting dive into such a deep and vast library of content. Pervaded by independent authors and even independent publishing, it can be very daunting to get involved and know where to get started. We will start our journey by giving a brief introduction to the styles of lit RPG. From there, we will go through my top three recommendations to start off with and where I envision the genre is going in the future. I think the best place to get started though is with a little bit of history so we know where lit RPG sits in the world of fantasy. Now, when the gatekeepers try to ask you questions, you got some backup knowledge. Over the years, in science fiction and fantasy, people have been transported to other worlds with new aspects to their reality. Wizard of Oz, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, some classic examples. In literature, it, you can see it in 1984, sci-fi classic Neuromancer by William Gibson, where a character is able to plug into a hacker computerverse similar to tron well not similar to tron but you know what i mean in which led to its own subgenre cyberpunk another great example is tad williams 1996 series Otherworld, where you're taken to a future where most of life is spent in virtual reality or a great reference for all of you nerds out there including you ben it's like the holodeck in star trek but they don't leave Where LitRPG differentiates itself from other pieces of fiction is the specific LitRPG statistics, challenges, and progression style. Across LitRPG you can see worlds where the main character of the story is playing a game, and the game is the story itself. On the other side there are examples where the main character is being transported into another world altogether, where game mechanics and statistics are part of the reality itself. And even sometimes the reality that we are experiencing is changed. Whether an alien arrives and changes everything or characters are forced into a new world controlled by the planet itself. A great mainstream example and an example I hear brought up constantly is Sword Art Online. Now I haven't dived very deeply into Sword Art, but I know its impact and I've seen what it does. It's a serves as a fantastic example of someone being trapped inside of a VR MMO. Another great example is Ernest Cline's Ready Player One, where a person who lives in our main IRL world dives into the virtual world and plays it and deals with it and engages with it as a majority of the story. But simultaneously, the real world and IRL world play an important impact. Now, game mechanics being baked into a world in of itself or in a post-apocalyptic sense have not been done in any western media that I've seen. It might have been covered in manga or anime, but from my knowledge, these are kind of some of the best mainstream examples that most of you out there will be able to connect to. The Pacific iteration of literature I am discussing, though, can connect its roots to two sources. Both are relatively contentious, I'm sure, But if you're a fan of lit RPG, I've probably already offended you somehow, or you're having a great time like I am. However, if you really want to tie the beginning of lit RPG to something specific and to where we are now, there are two points and two novel, two sets of novels I can really, really tie to. The first was a set of self-published Russian novels between 2012 and 2015 on a self-publishing site that I can't pronounce. And the main one that was originally published, I believe, was called Clan of Dominance, The Sleepless Ones, or Rules of the Clan. Now, there are a lot of others in here, but most of them were written in Russian and I couldn't read them. But the whole Russian end of Lit RPG is very pervasive and is talked about a lot. Um, I think the source I was reading was very pro this timeline as they ignored a lot of other things. But the genre is rich and it kind of got its start here and it really got its start in self-publishing in general but the big example and i know all of you are expecting me to talk about it and many of you don't even talk about it that often but it is an important aspect and for me personally it was my jumping off point and i know for a lot of people it brought them into the genre it's Alaron kong's the land a series that was constantly being advertised on my audible for years While I ignored it and diligently read urban fantasy until back in 2018, I decided to take the plunge and read this random fantasy novel. This novel was my true introduction to lit RPG outside of having read novels like ready player one and Alarong Kong really created what I thought is a great introduction to The genre. Now, it's not the novel that I would recommend a lot of people start with now, especially now that I've read a lot more into the genre, but the personality and public persona gathered around him garnered quite a reputation and got his books a lot of attention. His most recent text, God Eye, is a fantastic addition to the lit RPG genre, and I think despite his reputation and the way some people think about him, his impact was important. It wasn't the most important, and it's not the end-all, be-all, or creator of the genre, but it's an important person to mention in the history of the genre. Now, today, the genre is worldwide and crosses many different subgenres within its own right. There are thousands and thousands of texts being written, stories that are continuously being written, whether you're reading them on Kindle Unlimited, listening to them on Audible like I am, or Soundboo Studios. Um, or find on royalroad.com, lit RPG has become an absolutely massive genre. Admittedly, full of many first time authors and schlocky content churners, the genre has been described by a few as schlocky romance novels, but for dudes who play video games. But just like the romance genre, it's not all flashy action with no substance. There is a vast number of wonderfully written fantasy pieces that can hold their own. Hold their own alongside the greats. The genre takes many forms with it, the majority falling into three general categories play, portal, and progression. We'll start with the simplest play. These are the stories where the main characters are actively playing a game that is in the real futuristic world, kind of like Ready Player One or Sword Art. But in this style of lit RPG, the, play- the individuals playing are actually jumping in and out of the game at different points in the story. They're playing usually a brand new top-of-the-line game that is the innovation and biggest advancement of VR, MMO RPGs, where the worlds are truly immersive and really tactile, giving the lens of the story taking place in the game a very distinct flair. But specifically here, they can leave the game. The IRL world is important insofar as that the characters are exiting the game and interacting with the rest of the world. This is the simplest to understand as it's a book where people play a really intense video game that's very detailed and they're very immersed within it. The best example and my favorite example of this is Ascend Online by Luke Chimalenko, which I will discuss later on the podcast. The next, and probably the most prominent style of storytelling within LED RPG, is Portal, sometimes referred to as Portal Fiction. These are stories like Sword Art Online, where the characters, for some reason or another, are trapped within the game itself, or teleported to an alternate reality that has RPG-styled stats of progression within that reality. That's where the land fits in and many others. In these stories, players are trying to either escape back to the real world, break out of the game, or become as powerful as possible within their new reality. There are many great examples of this such as The Land, The Completionist Chronicles, Limitless Lands, Sentence to Troll, Life Reset, and one of my personal favorites purely for the prose, purely for the beautiful story, and the fact that it's actually a concluded trilogy. World Tree Online by EA Hooper. My wife helped me write this, and yes, she added in the Hooper part. The final style that we'll see and talk about predominantly is progression. Progression plays a part in nearly every aspect of Lit RPG, but there are those novels that focus explicitly on that projection, at times sacrificing more of our game elements in the name of more traditional story. Some of the best examples include Will Wright's Cradle and the pinnacle of professionalism, the pinnacle of story writing within this little niche corner of the world is Iron Prince by Bryce O'Connor and Luke Chimalenko. This specific style has roots in traditional Japanese storytelling and manga more so than the first two genres uh, mentioned. There is a bigger connection here to this genre to other genres that have existed around the world and other cultures. But in the Western style, I see it very commonly linked to lit RPG and it serves as one of the greatest diving in points to the style. It gets you used to the characters, the the way the characters grow, the way the characters engage with progression and training, Uh, the grinding and game kind of mentality plays a big part in this style and has some of the best stories written out there. I would be remiss not to mention another style, though, and this is a style I have not read nearly as much as the other three, but has created some very unique worlds in some of my favorite recent texts. This is kind of, I would refer to this as transformative lit RPG, but it can also be described as post apocalyptic lit RPG. I didn't mention this at first because it didn't fit in with my literal alliteration above, um, but it's worth mentioning. And this subgenre takes on typically a more unique sci-fi lens to storytelling where an external or magical force has turned the current reality into one with gaming mechanics. Whether this is an alien force arriving or the planet itself deciding that it wants to become an alternate reality of itself. One of the best examples recently, and I know a lot of you out there who are fans of the genre will know it, is Dungeon Crawler Carl. Another example is Game 3 or Advent Red Mage. In this genre, specifically, the world itself becomes changed, and people like you or I are launched into a video game aspect of reality. Um, I highly recommend Dungeon Crawler Carl. It's got a lot of attention recently and is well worth it. Same with Game 3 by Cosmo Yap. has some of my favorite lines in fiction, and I highly recommend reading it. Now that we've thoroughly introduced you to Lit RPG, and I'm sure there are those at you that will think I've missed something, but... Think about it from this perspective. We're just getting started and their journey's only going to go ahead from here. I'm going to take the moment to talk about three novels that I recommend you read to get started and find your place within the genre. Any of these provides you with an option to jump in. If you like one style or another, these serve as great recommendations for people to help guide you. The first is Ascend Online by Luke Chimilenko. A perfect example of the play style of Little RPG, where the main characters are playing a brand new VR MMO, where the characters are actively streaming their gameplay as well for monetary gain and social clout. This is one of the few great examples of an author being able to both write the real-world slash IRL aspect of the story and the in-game aspect of the story with equal quality and attention. The main characters are extremely well-written, and it really, really delves into the different aspects of playing a game and dealing with people outside of the game, And there's a Lars Azure Cat. My next launching point for you would be to recommend EA Hooper's World Tree Online. It is a beautifully written story about a man at the end of his life who decides to play a brand new game with an old friend before being trapped in that game and unable to escape. In this story, EA Hooper manages to convey beautifully and complex emotional storytelling of, an, of a man filled with grief whose age and perspective provides him with a unique lens to exploit the world that he's been trapped in. And the ways he goes about it are very, very entertaining. This story has tremendous highs. It has a character that rivals Dolores Umbridge and how much I hated them and how much I wanted them to be destroyed. And some of the best satisfaction when it comes to a conclusive storyline within this genre. And it's one of the first examples where I'll shout out Soundbooth Theater. Soundbooth Theater works a lot with lit RPG and does some of the best high quality recordings you'll hear with casts and music that really bring these worlds alive and make you feel like you're the one who went through the portal. My final recommendation will be for a progression story. Now, I would normally recommend Iron Prince by Bryce O'Connor and Luz Chimalenko here, but After reading that, I wanted to dive into the book that inspired them to write such an outstanding story, and that would be Will Wright's Cradle. Cradle in the whole series, I believe we're at 13 books now, has some of my favorite writing and some of the most introductory but well-executed progression you'll see. It is a set of novels that truly benefits sticking to it and reading the next book after the next it has some of my favorite lines of fiction in recent years, such as "He arrived like a landslide," which gave me chills when I read that, and I think I stood up and cheered when I as I was listening to the audiobook. Now there are tons of other books I could have recommended, and millions more, and millions more authors out there who have written stuff I've never even read, but I hope you're able to find a place to get started, and are excited for your journey you're about to take. There are hundreds of books I haven't read, or let alone heard of. If you ask any lit RPG fan out there for three recommendations on how to get started within the genre, I almost guarantee that you get three unique answers every time. With that out of the way, welcome to Lit RPG. I'm gonna do some shoutouts. Shoutouts are important. My wife helped me write this. I'm going to stop singing now. Um, My wife helped me write this. It takes me a long time to write things. And she's an incredibly fast typer. And very good at helping edit down some of my thoughts. And how far I go left, right, and center. And I really also want to take a shout out. And thanks to all the different lit RPG communities around the internet. Um, The r slash lit RPG community and the discord uh, server associated with it. Are fantastic and served as a guide for me as i dove into this genre and really helped push me to read more and listen to more within it Uh, and some great authors are on there another place where there are a lot of really great authors who are promoting some of their own work and who are also giving fantastic recommendations who pushed me toward almost all of the text i mentioned today is the Lit society on facebook you can also check out Soundbooth Theater's page as they post a lot of material related to some of your favorite stories being turned into audiobooks. Um, I think this genre is fantastic for the audio listener and is a fantastic place to be able to support a lot of independent authors who are self-publishing their own work. I highly recommend that you check out LitRPG, and I hope you enjoy Ben's God for you next. Again, this is Matt. Have a good day and welcome to let RPG Ha,
0: party! it's time for Trek talk with your hosts Ben and the beautiful Rebecca today we are here to discuss the first two episodes it's a double header for the newest series in the Star Trek pantheon we are talking Nickelodeon Star Trek Prodigy. How are you doing today, Bun?
2: Doing all right.
0: Awesome. <laughs> so, so let's get this started. Rebecca, what is what is your attachment in history with Star Trek?
2: I'm a big fan of Star Trek. I'm an aerospace engineer. It was one of the things that inspired me to go into my discipline because I watched the original series as a child, and then the next generation in high school. I'm not that old. I just am late to the party.
0: Word on the street is that you actually won a contest for Maxim Magazine's 100% Hottie in Aerospace Engineering in 2019. Is that true? No. All right. Um, I also grew up with star trek what 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 how would you rank the existing pre-prodigy star trek series that you've seen
2: the best one is definitely the next generation agreed yes um after the next generation i'd have to say the original series it's it's the baseline of the whole thing it's really very- more yeah.
0: than voyager
2: Voyager's good but voyager does not change Voyager is many seasons of Captain Janeway getting. I guess she gets increasingly less moral.
0: So, <laughs> but I mean, we watched we watched what we watched four episodes of the original series, and we got through like four seasons of Voyager before taking a break. I feel I like guess that
2: the original series sits better in my heart as a memory i i don't recommend watching it again <laughs> sort of like old video games it's like eh. or old childhood movies like if you watch thumbelina that's racist that's a very racist movie but i loved it as a child
0: all right so so where are we going after original series
2: i'd say okay we'll say original series is tied with voyager um, after that, I would say Star Trek Picard, when, a new one.
0: Yeah, Picard's good.
2: Picard's really good.
0: There, There's, we were talking about this earlier today, there's a large contingent of people, and by that I would say probably the vocal majority of online Star Trek fans who really don't like Picard, and I get it, it's not episodic like Next Generation, okay? We're gonna get that in the Captain Pike series. In theory. Mm. But I I feel like I feel like if you're gonna bring back Picard for a series and you have to do the gimmick of like, oh Picard's been miserable the last fifty years of his life. I think they did a pretty good job. The ending was rushed, but I also didn't think they were gonna get a second season.
2: Yeah, the ending, and we won't spoil it for you, but the ending was written as if they weren't going to get a second season, and then they did.
0: Yeah, it really felt like they had an original version of Picard, which would just end it. And then the last, like, ten minutes of the final episode of season one just feels completely rushed and put together. But who knows? Who knows? So, um, yeah, okay, so after Picard...
2: I, so one of the, I think the only series I haven't seen is Enterprise. I haven't heard good things, yeah, but I can't much. rate it because I haven't seen it. Um, I would then have to say that the first reboot movie with Chris Pine was actually really good. I mean, it wasn't like... As philosophical as Star Trek usually is. Or
0: philosophical at all.
2: Right. But the way they rewrote the um, Kirk storyline to sort of make it an alternate dimension was a good stroke of writing, and it allowed them to break off into a whole new series, which they then botched. But, I mean, the first movie was pretty good. And then I have to say the one I like the least is Deep Space Nine, which I know a lot of people love, but I absolutely hated. I hated that they never went anywhere. I wasn't a big fan of the characters. I mean, I did like a few of them, but for the most part, I didn't. Um, And yeah, so Deep Space Nine, I'm I'm probably going to get some hate for that, but I least favorite, Star Trek.
0: Deep Space Nine is legitimately a worse version of Babylon 5, which apparently they're rebooting...
2: Babylon 5 was good.
0: Yeah. J. Michaels Traczynski is the man, and hopefully the reboot doesn't turn out like Star Trek Discovery, which that's at the bottom.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, I had scorched Discovery from my mind and forgot about it.
0: Season one was fine.
2: Season one was confusing until you got to the end, and you were like, wow, this was great. Yeah. As a whole series, but then- then it wasn't great.
0: Season two is the biggest <laughs> piece of garbage where the, the, my big issue with season two, beyond the fact that it's rushed and it's terrible and the character development's stupid and Michael Burnham is like the worst Mary Sue in, in television, is that the, the the main villains of season two are essentially the Borg if they were based in the cloud
2: yeah, like and, internet cloud. Yeah,
0: and I get that that must have been... What What are they even called in that? I've purged it from my mind.
2: I don't know. They're sort of like nanobots, and they can take yeah. the shape of people.
0: But it's they're, they're so overpowered that it really loses the... the w- w- What was cool about the Borg, which the thing about the Borg is that, yeah, they're incredibly powerful, but they also have these weird, creepy states of inactivity or vulnerability, which... Whatever the hell it was in season two, just completely ixnays that and we're left with a season that was so bad we could not be brought to watch season three.
2: We watched one episode of season three. It was fine. There are some shows, and I know that Ben is trying to drag me back to at least finish Discovery so we can say we did, but there are some shows that just have unforgivable seasons like Game of Thrones was a international icon of a TV show. No one even rewatches it now because you eventually get to the final season. Like it's been completely wiped.
0: Okay, no, 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 no. We, we can't do that because you said that you enjoyed the final season of Game of Thrones.
2: I mean, yes, I did. But I also don't rewatch TV shows like that. But everyone else hated it. And I can see why.
0: Well, I I largely agree with you. I mean,
2: you didn't watch it.
0: No, I'm talking about Star Trek. Oh,
2: yeah. This is
0: a Star Trek pot, potty, hot potty. This is Trek Talk.
2: Yeah. And I mean, just going back to Game of Thrones, like, I liked it because <laughs> I knew. You're <laughs> justifying this. I mean, I, I did like it. I, I feel like it wasn't the ending that I wanted, but it was the ending I was expecting, People hope for too much nowadays. Everything's pretty garbage for the most part.
0: That, that sounds like a true WWE fan, <laughs> but we'll, we'll leave that there so we can talk about Star Trek Prodigy. So this is the newest Star Trek debut. They still have some other TV shows in the pipeline. We got a new season of Picard coming out soon with Q. Hey. Um, but in the meantime, we have Star Trek Prodigy, which is a CGI animated show, different from the animated Lower Deck series, which is awesome. I it forgot is,
2: to list Lower Decks. Lower Decks is up
0: there. Lower Decks is up there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a very smartly written show, and it's one of those where every episode, I feel like it keeps getting better. The uh, This show is... It's Star Wars. It's it's aimed a lot younger. And yeah, long story short, uh, Prodigy is Star Wars, What broad strokes, what, what did you think of this? It, it's a two-parter uh, episode premiere called Lost and Found.
2: So first impression was that, wow, this looks a lot like Star Wars Clone Wars. Second impression was, oh, this is Star Wars. Like, this is what it is. And uh, it's really good. Like... It's definitely a children's show if you have seen enough t v you can guess what they're gonna say and what they're gonna do, but it was still like nice to watch. I enjoyed it
0: i uh I'm glad you enjoyed it <laughs> i give it, I give it like a six
2: yeah, it's a children's show, but I like mean, it's an it's like a baseline this is definitely a children's show. there's children's shows like. Like, um... Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls. And, like, that show is terrifying as an adult at some points. And it has really good writing, and it's not super predictable. This is TV Y7, Prodigy is. And it shows. I mean... definitely shows.
0: I don't think that's the issue. I I think the issue is that the pacing of this is... If it was called something other than Star Trek, I'd be fine with it. And I hate being this guy who's, like, you know, I I gotta have Star Trek my way. But the whole point of Star Trek is, you know, relationships between aliens having not even necessarily a new monster of the week, but some sort of, uh, of, of, of political repartee, which I don't feel like you can really have in a children's show. So I feel like conceptually th- there were red flags here. But I feel like the art style is incredibly reminiscent if not nearly ripping off of clone wars the recent cgi animated show and uh, also star wars rebels which used a very similar art style i think i mean i think it's well done for what it is they they really like their lighting it's 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 I, a
2: bright show i'm
0: not i'm not sure how much i enjoy the actual art style but i think the lighting of it And especially the intro that they show off at the end of the first episode is really impressive. The overall story structure, though, and the characters that they introduce, it's really Star Wars. There's nothing reminiscent of Star Trek outside of there's one character that they say is a Kazon, even though it does not look like a Kazon, and they have the Star Trek emblem.
2: Yeah, the main character so far is a plucky orphan boy who's very innovative and wants to be free of his planet. Well, prison mining colony, but still. And then you have the others who make up for his faults. Yeah, And and a, a cute pet. Don't forget the cute pet. That's very important. Star Wars had uh, those weird penguin bear things in the last movie or so. It's sort of like that.
0: Yeah, the the, the fake Ewoks, the, the penguin owls. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's a pretty simple story. A kid named Dal, which...
2: Yeah, I think it's Dal. Yeah,
0: very Star Warsy names also. He is on a mining prison colony. He doesn't know what type of alien he is, and neither do we except he's apparently rubbery enough to withstand a level of punishment that any other character that's existed in the Star Trek universe would not be able to withstand.
2: Massive fall damage.
0: And he is sort of... He has a solid relationship with the leader of the prison colony's daughter, whose name is Progeny. Wow, thats that took a lot of effort there.
2: It's like... Um what was that movie uh star galaxy
0: galaxy quest
2: no the one with chris pratt the whole movie which one with
0: chris pratt
2: (laughs) Uh, it was the avengers movie with chris pratt um star lord yeah star lord but like what was his movie called
0: guardians of the galaxy
2: yeah and it was i think
0: it's gonna we got there (laughs)
2: I think it's going to be a similar plot line because he was like technically a alien god's child and he called him his progeny. Um, yeah, but yeah. but he
0: didn't literally name her progeny. She was named Gamora.
2: Well, I mean, this is for kids. You really got to hammer it in.
0: Guardians of the Galaxy is largely for children.
2: Ah, That's a lot of abs for kids.
0: <laughs> Uh, so the overall, uh, plot of the episode is on the prison colony. There is a rogue, uh, fugitive, uh, fugitive zero and Dal in exchange for his freedom is tasked with finding this guy instead Dal and this rock monster lovingly named rock, uh, accidentally end up finding an old NX model uh, Federation ship. Now, the NX class ships, for people who are not super familiar with Star Trek, that is the first model of ship that has level five warp engines.
2: Oh, yeah. Which,
0: for a layman, is basically the first ships with Star Trek warp drive mm. more or less. So like uh the Star Trek Enterprise the series, like that's the Enterprise they use because that's the first Enterprise. Um so it it's obviously an old ship they find, but at the end of the episode they're introduced to Kate Mulgrew's voice because Captain Janeway is back this time in AI form as she is apparently A training AI. So our guess, presumably, is that the ship was converted into a training vessel.
2: Yeah, that's what my guess, too, that it's a training ship. And why they chose Janeway as their trainer makes no sense to me. Really, Captain Janeway, and the original series gets a lot of flack for being trigger happy, but Captain Janeway straight up kills people throughout Voyager. And, like, she puts, like, this moral coding on it. But Janeway is not...
0: Only when pushed too far.
2: Janeway is not the person... Picard never killed anyone.
0: Didn't he when he was locutious?
2: Well, that was under duress as a Borg. He wasn't even human at that point.
0: You realize that there's a... That in the the Star Trek books, which I think have been retconned...
2: He was forgiven because of the circumstances. Yeah, but
0: in the Star Trek books, I think Janeway uh, gets linked up to the Borg in one of the books, and she wipes out, like, millions of people.
2: And that makes sense, because she does kill people as a normal human,
0: yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I.
2: Janeway is a good trainer to have if you want to, like, train black ops. But if you want to train just a bunch of cadets, I feel like Janeway's not the captain to so, go with.
0: So, look, the way Star Trek's going, right, is that each series has to have random callbacks to an older series, okay? So, for Discovery, it's original series. For Picard, it's next generation. For the next one, it's like, are you going to go Deep Space Nine or Voyager? And it's like, Voyager's obviously better, so.
2: Captain Janeway is one of my favorite captains. I mean, I named my cat after her. So I love Captain Janeway. I'm just saying, training hologram, Uh, I'm not quite sure if she should be doing that. But I do like seeing and hearing her again.
0: Yeah, the uh, various highlights on this episode include a robot-like figure, which is named... I, What's his name? It's, it's extremely obnoxious. Uh, Dreadnock, in case you're not sure that he's evil.
2: He's also a Transformer.
0: Yeah, he's essentially a General Grievous knockoff who's able to turn his arms into a laser cannon. Yep. Which which obviously, for any of our Star Trek fans here, is very Star trek Laser <laughs> cannons coming out of your arms.
2: Don't forget that he can transform his human-shaped body into a giant metallic spider-like body because that's super Star Trek and not Star Wars.
0: I I feel like the biggest issue with this show is that it's not grounded in the same way that any other Star Trek is. I feel like the difference between Star Trek and other sci-fi is even though it's really stupid, it it's still grounded in its own reality. This is an animated show first and Star Trek second, which may not sound like a huge difference, but if you look at Lower Decks, which is another animated Star Trek show, they do a bunch of stupid things, but they're still people. They're still like if they fall from a hundred feet, they will die. And, yeah, and this they have doesn't like have that.
2: Moral conversations, lots of politics and philosophy, even if it's in case of Lower Decks, um, in a comedic form. I mean, to be fair, this is the first episode, and they were spending all of it escaping prison, so it's not super easy to put some philosophy in there, though I'm sure, I think The Next Generation had several episodes where they did just that, but still.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, (laughs) especially for a two-parter episode, the, the fact that the progeny character... Doesn't do a lot of reflecting. I, I mean, she does the teenage angsty. I want to look in the sterns, but beyond that, there's really well, nothing. she
2: does like the like three things that indicate this is a good person who's going right. to be reformed and not straight up evil like her dad. Like she is nice to the prisoners. That must mean she's a good person. I mean, she's still gonna let them kill that boy. He deserves it. I mean, sure, but she's still gonna let them kill him. She's gonna be sad about it, though.
0: Yeah, she's gonna feel a little bad about it.
2: Yeah, that's how you know she's a good person.
0: The show also features Fugitive Zero is a Medusan, which apparently was an alien species that only showed up in one other episode of Star Trek, which was in the original series. And get this. They retconned it. Originally, Medusans did have gender, because Kirk in the original series—this, uh, this is why I love Star Trek wikis—is <laughs> because like they take the time to note this. In in the original series, Kirk refers to the Medusan as a he, whereas here they specifically state that the Medusans are genderless. That said, if any Starfleet captain was to innocuously refer to a strange alien cloud creature as a he instead of a genderless being, it would probably be Kirk.
2: Yes. Yes, it would. But also, like, that was the 60s. They didn't really understand they as a pronoun. Another pronoun in the Star Trek verse, um, very common in the written word, is zxe which is used for aliens where you don't know their gender and you don't want to use they for
0: some reason. Why didn't that catch on? I think
2: because it it sounds so much like he and she, Z.
0: But isn't that the point, to be like a cross between? This is where I like...
2: I don't know. It's very popular in the written form, but I I don't know why it didn't come into popularity.
0: I should bow out of this conversation while I'm ahead. Um... Yeah, it's the the show overall is a real basic escape story where uh, Dal uh, forms a crew with a fast talker, Hey, what you doing over here, engineer? A giant rock monster girl, a slug-like pet, the Medusin, which is British and acts like what a British person in a kids' show would be. Um... It, the, the show, overall, it's very pretty to look at. I don't... I, I feel annoyed watching it. Because I, I feel annoyed that this is what they're being like, yeah, this is Star Trek.
2: It's not Star Trek. It's... It's not. It's Star Wars or generic sci-fi thing. But Star Trek has a lot of baseline rules that this doesn't follow. And that doesn't mean it's not good. But it's not Star Trek.
0: I feel like, at what point does something not become good because it doesn't deliver on what it's supposed to?
2: Discovery.
0: I, But see, this for me is less Star trek than Discovery. Substantially less. This is the least Star trek Star Trek show I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, but I give this one a pass because it is for children. Discovery is not as Star trek as it should be, even though it's trying really hard, so hard. She, Burnham is crying all the time about the failings of her morality, which is a Star Trek thing to do, but she does it too much and it goes off the rails. This... And we're only on episode one of Prodigy, but this isn't even really trying to be Star Trek, and I feel like that's making it more palatable, that it's not trying and therefore not failing.
0: (laughs) I feel, and, and it's weird because for most Star Trek shows, I don't really get the whole, oh, this isn't what Star Trek is supposed to be, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like this is so off base and they think they can scrape by by just throwing, you know, Kate Mulgrew's voice in there and having a Starfleet badge. And I'm like like the Kazon in it does not even look like a Kazon.
2: It's a child friendly Kazon.
0: It's not regular Kazon are not that offensive to look at.
2: I mean it's hard to animate all their spiky hair and stuff
0: i mean they're ugly but it's, it's just the shape of his head was different he looks more klingon than kazon and you can't tell me otherwise
2: he did at first i did think he was a klingon i was surprised they said kazon i guess maybe because he's short sort of like a short klingon looks kind of like a kazon yeah is that racist but anyway edit <laughs> <And> <laughs> Um. Yeah, so I feel like we should watch one more episode, though, because the whole episode, they weren't on a ship. None of them knew what Star Trek, or sorry, what the Federation was. They couldn't even talk to each other because they didn't have translators for a lot of this. So I feel like once we see maybe episode two and they can get that whole sort of religious experience of Janeway telling them all the rules that Starfleet follows, maybe then we'll start getting a little more of the Star Trek structure.
0: What, for me, the issue is... I don't... I, I feel like... I, I feel like the... Sh- I, I feel like what separates Star Trek from other sci-fi shows are the rules that most Star Treks follow. And I feel like the fact that doesn't follow any of those makes this overall a failure. Right, but what I'm
2: saying is they aren't even part of Starfleet. They've never seen Starfleet.
0: I deserve... Episode
2: 2, maybe they'll start introducing those rules because now they're on a Starfleet ship with Captain Janeway. It's not that,
0: though. It's the spirit of the show.
2: I mean, the spirit is certainly very pew pew Clone Wars.
0: Exactly. We don't want Clone Wars in our Star Trek. Then you just make a Clone Wars or name it, name it just Sci-Fi Prodigy, but don't name it Star Trek. So I give this. Star Trek's where the
2: money is, though. I
0: don't, I don't care. I'm looking at this from a critical eye. I'm eyeing you right now, you cutie tootie. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you. So overall, final score. What would you give Star Trek Prodigy episodes one and two, two-parter?
2: Six and a half out of ten.
0: Yeah, I give it a six. I I felt more offended watching this than I actually didn't enjoy it. Um, I was hoping for it, because this show has been targeting longtime Star Trek fans. If you are a longtime Star Trek fan, you will not like this show at no. all. That, you
2: would like Lower Decks.
0: You would like Lower Decks. Lower you Decks is great. You would love Lower Decks. But this one, for me, is a real miss. If you have kids, like this is perfectly fine. But I, I they guess, wouldn't
2: know better anyway.
0: I guess here is the ultimate question.
2: Can't show the original series to a child.
0: The ultimate question here, I feel like, is if you have. A seven-year-old, seven or eight-year-old, which this show's targeted at. Yeah. Would you rather show them this or would you rather show them another Star Trek series?
2: I'd rather show them the next generation than this.
0: I think that's the biggest failing of this show is that it. I don't think it does anything super well. No. Do, Do you have any final thoughts on Prodigy?
2: I thought the animation was really pretty except at the close-ups to their face and maybe this is just a me thing but every so often it hit that note of uncanny valley and it made me a little uncomfortable.
0: I I felt like
2: I I think it's because they were like trying to emote but their face wasn't catching up with their words and it was kind of unpleasant to look at
0: i felt like the animation but otherwise
2: really nice yeah
0: i thought the animation and the colors and the set design was good but i thought the character models looked unpleasant
2: yeah i think it was like i'm certain it's when you're up close to their face and they're like they're not just standing there talking they're like moving too it, it's uncanny. It's a little weird. Maybe it's just because this is the first one, it'll get cleaner as it goes on. I,
0: I really hope that whatever aliens show up on this show in the future, take a more Star Trek approach where it's like bright rainbow skin color is not really Star Trek. Like we have the green skin people, but like the bright pink and polka dots that the main character is, is is pretty out there even purple. for Star Trek. It's a light purple. But
2: well, to be fair, Star Trek is the way it is because they had to put makeup on human people all the time. I mean, Neelix was polka-dotted and sort of a lime green yellow and
0: that He's was just not green.
2: Yeah, he, he had like greenish He's yellow tanned. bits. No, he had greenish yellow bits and he was spotted and he was probably a huge amount of work to do every time he showed sure, up. That I don't so. with.
0: But if if, if Neelix was, was a deep purple, I think that would be weird.
2: I mean if he started as a deep purple, we would have gotten used to it.
0: Getting used to it and liking it are two different things.
2: I appreciate the orb character. The what, yeah. what was it called? Medusin?
0: Yeah, the Medusen.
2: I like that they took the opportunity to have a alien character that you can't really have in a human TV show, which is flying light. That's, that's what they are.
0: All Star Treks <laughs> need a ball of mysterious light.
2: Yes. It's harder to do all the time when you have real people. Normally they just slap a nose ridge on someone and call them a new species
0: <laughs> fair enough do Do you have anything else to add or are you satisfied
2: I, i'm satisfied
0: uh, how how did you enjoy your first hot potty experience
2: no oh, i didn't like that
0: <laughs> what hot potty <laughs> yeah matt didn't like it either but
2: i, I agree with matt
0: well you know what you might agree with Matt the first time.
2: Oh, I see where this is going. You might agree with Matt the second
0: time. There is even a chance you'll agree with Matt the third time. But let me tell you something. One more time you're going to side with me because to me the fourth, fourth time's, time's the charm. Good night everybody.